algae uh, have several several applications so it's it's everywhere we can use algae not only for feed for animals or food for humans but also we can use and, and currently it's being used for instance for cosmetic for pharmaceutical as soon as we sort out the protein production we can start looking into new uh, application welcome to science town a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet with every episode we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Welcome to episode 22 of Science Town. I'm Julie West. Algae are metabolic treasure trove. The ancient hybrid organisms which come in various forms of seaweed and microalgae, bring incredible potential to source different products for high value applications across multiple technology realms, including animal feed, crop fertilizers, carbon reuse, waste remediation, packaging plastics, and medicines. This episode features two algal experts at KAUST in conversation about their projects. Claudio Grunwald directs the development of algal biotechnology in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia project, which is a pilot infrastructure for benchmarking and producing high-protein algae for agriculture at scales to feed animals, such as fish and poultry. Dr. Kyle Larison is an assistant professor in the Biological and Science Engineering Division, bringing expertise in algal synthetic biology and metabolic engineering. Enjoy. What is it about algae and its properties that has drawn you to study it in your career? Claudio, maybe I'll start with you. Yes, uh, well, algae is a, a really uh, fantastic organism. Actually, we breathe because of them. Algae uh, has been part of my professional career uh, and, and is an organism that uh, it's quite flexible. There are so many of them with so many properties, so many applications. And just recently we are uh, doing this kind of science and, and try to um, to use algae for the benefit of the humans. Kyle? Um, yeah, so what draws me to algae professionally? I think algae, as Claudio said, are just incredibly cool organisms. Uh, the term algae is an umbrella term for everything that's photosynthetic that, but lacks roots or stems. So it's not exactly a scientific term. It's a very diverse group of organisms we're talking about. But from a practical point of view, they're fascinating because they're really good at converting waste into high-value products. So they consume nitrogen, phosphorus, and waste carbon dioxide as their sole requirements for growth, and then convert that into many different biological products, whether it's oils, carbohydrates, proteins, all of the, the different things that make up the algal cell. On top of that, their cultivation is done in um, closed systems compared to higher plants, which have to be grown in fields or outdoors using agricultural research, uh, resources. So they're very interesting as plug-and-play waste conversion options that you can implement at an industrial scale. Mm -hmm. 
Claudio, you oversee the development and production of an outdoor algal facility on campus for growing high-protein algae as agricultural feed for animals, such as fish and poultry. And the government of Saudi Arabia is very involved in the build-out of this installation in partnership with Cal's Beacon Development. Why is algae a promising resource for this purpose? And how is the kingdom positioned to benefit? Well, basically, um, the, the problem that the kingdom has already is that they rely, or the country rely on the importation of raw material to produce feed for animals. The kingdom uh, aim is to try to produce their own raw material to produce feed for animals. The algae is, is one of the most promising technology. So that is why they have funded this project. Uh, and the idea is to produce protein, as you say, and, and other macromolecules like, uh, such as uh, lipids and carbohydrates in order to include and feed for animals. It is quite important because it's, it's, it's all about food security. At the very end, uh, we need to, to be sure that we can provide food for humans. And, and in a way, uh, by doing this and, and establishing this technology in the country will help to, uh, uh, to this food security issue. Do you know what we're talking about in terms of potential savings? I know it's a you know multi what billion dollar industry globally, but what what kind of savings might this represent for the kingdom? Uh, so um, the good thing about uh, this technology and algae, uh, we can use waste. Uh, in order to, uh, I would say it's high strength instead of waste, in order to produce a, a, a biomass, right? So it's not only uh, uh, that we're going to produce protein, also we're going to take a lot of CO2. So there are several uh, um, several objectives that we can we can achieve by using this technology. Uh, if uh, we if we use this technology, uh, we can treat uh, wastewater. Uh, we can obtain the the nitrogen, the phosphorus that we need to grow, and we can obtain the CO two as well. The kingdom. Uh, has a, a plan and and this is a good plan this is is quite interesting because they are not looking for high value products that other country from algae they are looking for low commodities protein and 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 carbohydrate liberal are low commodities so uh, securing those low commodities to uh, to produce feed for animal is a really really clever idea and we are in the right time uh, this is the opportunity because uh, the kingdom has a lot of advantage if we compare with uh, European countries, we have everything here. We got the sun, we got the flat land, we got the CO2, uh, we got the infrastructure uh, in order to 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 set up this uh, massive, massive, huge uh, plant to produce the biomass. So it is a exciting time. It's, 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 a, it's a challenge, and, but I think it, uh, and we will uh, create jobs we will we will uh, produce that biomass and, and at the very end we will support uh, the, the 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 goal of the kingdom to produce feed for animals You, you created and direct the Sustainable and Synthetic Biotechnology Group at KAUST, which is the only dedicated applied algal biotechnology lab on the Arabian Peninsula. 
and it has cutting edge tools that Algo Labs and other parts of the world might not have. So what goes on in your lab and do your projects support or dovetail with Claudio's in any way? Yeah, thanks. Um, so our lab, I, I believe we're the only dedicated algal technology lab. There is another algal biotechnology lab in the university, New York University of Abu Dhabi, but they are heavily focused on sequencing of different species, not necessarily the applied implementation of biotechnology. So we work together and there are many labs spread all around the world working on algal biotechnology. It's quite a diverse and exciting community to be a part of. Um, but our lab has been very well supported by KAUST in the technology infrastructure that we have. So we have uh, multiple photobioreactors, we have multiple liquid handling and colony handling robots, which are relatively um, hard to come by in algal labs and usually dedicated to more uh, genetics focused labs that may work with other microbes. And we have a lot of analytics infrastructure as well as the support of KAUST core labs for analytics infrastructure. So our um, abilities to, to do the kind of molecular biology and the, the high throughput biotechnology that we need to do in order to uh, work with algae at, a, at another level are supported by KAUST. Now, our efforts span the entire value spectrum of algae. And you can imagine, as uh, Claudia was mentioning, that there are a lot of um, projects in the world that revolve around algae and the conversion into commodity products. But we're talking about a very diverse group of organisms. And in addition to that, you're talking about different diverse engineering at the um, cellular level, but also at the just practical fluid handling level. When you're trying to grow these things outdoors, they grow in liquid culture. And so um, our lab has to touch on all of these different technology um, zones. So we have a project currently in collaboration with Claudio, supported by the Circular Carbon Initiative, to identify new species from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia that would be adapted to the extreme outdoor environment that we have here. And we believe that those extreme adaptations will yield extreme metabolisms that not only support their growth in the hot outdoor conditions here, but have novel metabolites that may be of high value for human use. So that's one project that we're working on. We have a lot of other projects on the actual build and implementation of systems to grow algae in different ways to perhaps milk a product that's coming from them separate from the biomass, but also to encourage getting higher and higher cell densities per volume of culture. So one of the major limitations with algae is that they grow, uh, but they have to have light penetrate into the liquid culture. And the more dense they get, the harder that is to manage. And so we've engineered some systems that allow that, but also different cultivation recipes to encourage that chemistry um, in, in photobioreactors. So it's a very diverse set of activities that we have going on. Those are two of the sort of practical ones. The other efforts that we do, and that's the synthetic part of our name, is engineering the cells themselves. And we do this through um, a collective of technologies that are known as synthetic biology. So it used to be called genetic engineering or metabolic engineering, but we effectively use the ability to print DNA to customize designs and then use that to bring in novel metabolisms into the algae and then make them do things that they don't naturally do. So we have strains of algae, for example, that produce specialty perfumes. We have strains of algae that produce bulk commodity isoprene, the volatile 
chemical that is polymerized to make rubber. It's the natural monomer of rubber polymers. And we have many other engineered strains that make different pigments. So we are investigating all of these different angles with different projects, um, trying to cover that entire technology spectrum that is uh, surrounding the topic of algal biotechnology. You're listening to Science Town. So your lab is indoors, Claudio's plant is outdoors, and um, each brings with it unique you know, specifications that can allow the algae to survive. So I, I wanna know more about the outdoor plant. What, what are some of the key components needed for an algae facility to successfully operate? And um, so I, maybe even walk us through what the different stations might might look like and what's going on there. And then what about your expertise, Claudio, do you bring to the job that, that makes you right for setting this up? Yeah, so um, basically I've been working with algae for the last 25 years in different countries, in, in Chile, in Spain, in, in the UK. Uh, and my specialty is to, to work outdoors, to work in a higher scale. And, and in here we, have a, we are building and nearly finishing the phase one of our project. Um, in our facilities, uh, the project funded by MIWA, uh, we have um, built, designed and built uh, several raceways, which are open system, all right? Basically in those ones, we're gonna produce a protein, we're gonna use a, a specific uh, spirulina strain adapted to uh, salty water, and we're gonna use those uh, facilities in order to grow and to test under different condition, and the hot condition that uh, we have here in the kingdom. But also we have research units, uh, a system that, uh, our closest system that we call photobioreactor, uh, in those units, we will test uh, different seawater strain in, in order to produce uh, the lipid fraction, but also pigment and other uh, high-value metabolite, right? So the expertise that I bring to, to cows is, is mainly on outdoor production in a higher scale. This is the phase one and the phase two that is starting now. Uh, we're going to build uh, a, a four-hectare plant here at cows uh, in order to increase the production. We are in a in a good, really good uh, scientific relationship with, with uh, Kyle and their group. And actually, currently, we are testing some of uh, Kyle uh, strain, uh, group strain in our facilities with really good results. Uh, actually, I'm going to speak with you later on, but really, really amazing because we are testing some extremophile and, and they are behaving amazingly. Uh, and this is really good because uh, we we have complementarities and 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 we can uh, progress progress uh, very very quick you know so we we don't need to wait a lot of time because as soon as uh, Kyle has some uh, uh, interesting strain we can scale up straight away that is why uh, I think it uh, this collaboration and 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 this opportunity that that Kaus has uh, it is amazing it's it's, it's quite important. Mm. Okay. All right. So I, you mentioned saltwater, seawater. I know that some algae grow in freshwater environments, some grow in saltwater environments. So what, what kind are you growing? You mentioned spirulina. Is, is that 
fresh water? Yeah, so, so spirulina is, is uh, one of the most famous uh, algae. It's a cyanobacteria, actually. Uh, but the, the good thing is that they are, they are able to grow in different uh, salt conditions, from fresh water to brackish water to even sea water. Right? So now what we are doing, we are acclimatizing to the high salinity that we have here in the Red Sea. Uh, it's not an easy task because at the very end it takes a lot of time to acclimatize them to this uh, nearly 42 international unit salinity that we have in this in in in, in the Red Sea. But uh, so far we have achieved nearly uh, 28 uh, international unit, which is uh, kind of the the same salinity that we have, for instance, in 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 the North Atlantic area, right? So. Um, This is good because um, uh, the idea to use only or, or mainly seawater species is one of the priority of the kingdom because we don't have freshwater resources. So that is why we are adapting this one, uh, especially spirulina, to those conditions. We also work, as I explained uh, to you, uh, in, in closed system photobioreactor by using seawater strain. Those seawater strains are mainly for the production of lipids and some pigment as well, right? So uh, we're going to focus mainly on seawater species because uh, otherwise we cannot make it here in, in the country because we don't have fresh water, yeah. Okay, well, when we were chatting prior to mm. this interview, you were saying that currently some of the strains you're using actually come from algal banks or collections from other places like the UK. Um, and, and then Kyle was saying that an objective is to cultivate local strains. So I guess I'll I'll direct this to Kyle. Where do the local strains come from? And then what happens to them when you bring them back into the lab? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the benefit of having years of algal research done around the world is that people have already characterized many different types of algae and figured out what they make. So algae in general, take in carbon dioxide as their carbon source, they take some kind of nitrogen and phosphorus, and they turn it into their biomass. And that biomass has different ratios of protein and oil and carbohydrate. And so it's nice to know in advance what they're making so that you don't scale up an alga that doesn't produce what you want it to do. So one of the goals of finding local species beyond the fact that they can grow locally and in these extreme outdoor conditions Actually, I, I should say that in the kingdom, the winter time is actually not that extreme at all. It's actually quite pleasant. And uh, half of the year, things grow very well in the uh, outdoors, even if they're not from here. But for the summer months, when it is quite hot, it's important to have species that are able to grow at these extreme temperatures. And so we can, I, we can um, isolate algae from many different environments. They're actually sort of ubiquitous in the world. So you have them, of course, in the sea, in seawater. But you'll notice if you leave a puddle of water out on your backyard, it, uh, backyard or back stoop, it might get a green film in it as well. And there's a lot of algae that just exist on surfaces, in soils that float through the air, on the dust that comes in on sandstorms. And so all of these different environments are where we're actually taking samples from and then isolating algae from. So the process effectively involves bringing these samples into the lab and mixing them with either fresh or salt water and giving them nothing but carbon dioxide as a carbon source and seeing what grows back because they can then take that carbon dioxide and do photosynthesis and turn it into their biomass and grow when other microbes will not. 
And once they're isolated, we have them in what are called monocultures. So a monoculture just means that it's a culture of a single algal species or any single species. And then we try and grow them in photobioreactors. So one of the things our lab has, which is relatively unique, there's only a few other places in the world that have this, are 12 independent controlled environment bioreactors. So these are produced by the company Algen, Algenuity in the UK, and they're beautiful little boxes that control temperature, light, and the ability to gas the cultures with CO2. And so through those boxes, we're able to program them with local weather data and then emulate 12 different months of growth outdoors in about a week. So we can have each box being a different month, so January, February, March, all the way through the year. And then we can take that data and say to Claudio's team, hey, this species will do really well in the winter, or this species will do really well in the summer. And then we can also do the basic characterization of that biomass in our lab. So we find out how much lipids it's producing, or lipids are another way of saying oil, how much oil it's producing, how much protein, how much carbohydrates. And so for their purposes, they need to know that data before they start investing in scaling up that species to thousands of liters outside. So you're subjecting those local strains to different temperature conditions. You're working with Claudio's team saying these are the ones that do well in these months. And then you're taking those outdoors. Is that how it works? Yes. And then you're yes. actually testing them under yes. those conditions? Yes. Yeah, so that, that is why uh, we have this collaboration with, with uh, Kyle, because at the very end, uh, we don't want to waste resources. So knowing that those strains that Kyle already tested in, in lab condition have the ability to grow at different temperature or have the ability to grow at different CO2 sources or different uh, light condition, then we can uh, we can bring those strains to outdoor condition, knowing that they, we're going to have quite similar results in outdoor condition. Uh, because the the issue that we have in 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 a, in a bigger scale that we cannot control parameters. Most of the parameters are uh, environmental parameters such as temperature or or light irradiation, uh, and there uh, in, in indoor condition is is more simple in terms of you can control the parameters so you know exactly uh, how they are growing. Uh, that is why the beauty of this is by by working together we can save time we can save resources and we can get a better result and quick results straight away mm. and it seems like you're not having to use strains from the UK and other banks ultimately would would not be a savings in and of itself uh, yes but uh, there is a there is an issue in there because uh, when we want to include uh, protein, lipids, and carbohydrate into feed for animals, first of all, we need to use uh, recognized algae. So those algae that's coming from algae such as the CCAP in the UK or UTEX in the U in the USA. So this is uh, the approach that we are following now uh, in order to be able to include those uh, uh, that biomass into uh, feed for animals. At, at the same time, uh, as Kyle mentioned. Um, we are testing, isolating, and 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 discovering new strain. Uh, the idea would be at some point to have our own algae bank. Actually, we have our own algae bank, but with local species only. What that means uh, by having our algae bank, uh, we can select the uh, specific species for a specific uh, application. 
right? And 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 later on, definitely in our project, we, we the idea would be to use local strain rather than commercial strain that we call those one that coming from algae banks. Mm. Um, is there a value, uh, maybe a commercial value in having our own local bank? Like, could others from other parts of the world mm-hmm. come to us and use our algae? Or how does that yeah, work? Yeah, so there, there, there are regulations. There are uh, treaties like a Budapest Treaty, like uh, the Nagoya Protocol. There are different treaties that uh, basically uh, make the rules how to use those strains. So if we produce or if we isolate our own strain, first of all, it will be benefit not only for the, for the kingdom, but also for the GCC region, because basically we can provide for, uh, for instance, different companies, uh, our local strain, and they will uh, be sure that they are using something that is useful for them, right? So this is this is quite important, uh, right there, to rely on uh, algae bank from abroad because when you brought those strains, you can imagine that strains from the UK are quite different in terms of uh, the environmental condition that they find in in, in, in in the UK. So we need to adapt them, we need to uh, waste time and resources on that. So having a, a, a local algae bank is, is a really good way to secure that uh, this technology will be applied locally and this technology will be used for uh, uh, local stakeholder, different industry companies. Is the objective right now at the plant simply to make sure it survives, or where are you in the various phases of the plant right now? So I think it's important to realize that none of these things happen quickly. So the isolation and identification and characterization of strains can take six months to a year. Um, The build of the infrastructure, Claudio has been incredibly successful in getting that done quickly. Uh, but making sure the due diligence and that there are no leaks and that everything around it and the electricity is set up, that also takes some time. And just the build of the infrastructure is not the only limitation. You have to also then build the downstream process, which is arguably the more expensive part of the cultivation, right? So just growing the strains, that's one thing. But then you have a lot of microbes in thousands of liters of liquid. And so you need centrifugation, you need filtration, you need freeze-drying capabilities to turn it into a powder that can be handled and used as a product. So that, those phases, I mean, Claudio can explain it better probably, but those phases are now happening and being implemented and and will take a couple months. But um, we are at the stage now currently of identifying new species. We have a new library, about six strains have been isolated since the last two months, and they're going to be about 20 more in the next three weeks. So um, it takes some time to get these into monoculture. And then the characterization does take a few weeks to months because you have to do a lot of experiments in the lab to confirm different elements. Well, I do want to add that the plant only opened just, what, in March? Is that right, Claudia? Yes, yes. The official launch of of the plant was on March 27 of this year. Uh, and currently we are we are working in in 1000 liters it's not 
is not a lot, but uh, in we will be in full operation by next month. So that full operation is mean that we're gonna be growing algae in a hundred cubic meter, hundred thousand liter of, of, of culture in, in outdoor condition. And from that point onward, we, we can start processing every day. Every day we can start harvesting algae. We can start uh, getting biomass. Uh, and as um, Kyle mentioned, then all the downstream process, which is uh, the way that you get the product at the very end, uh, will be uh, on, on the same month. So at the very end, the, the good thing is that um, we can start our operation for a full year because we need a full year of operation at least in order to have all the uh, productivity data. That is the, the key element, to have that productivity data because then we can rely on those data to make uh, further projections. If uh, the results are the same as the commercial um, uh, fit for this fish, then uh, we can save a, a lot of, or, or the government or the kingdom can save a lot of money with this, yeah. Right, a lot of separate parts mm. and, and many different areas of expertise. I'm, I'm, I'm gathering not only at KAUST, but with these different government agencies that you've mentioned. I mean, it's an incredibly ambitious project. It, we're sitting here in the studio and there's a picture of tomatoes behind Julie here. And it would be like saying, we're going to make a tomato replacement. We have this new plant that looks like a tomato it's red and we're going to start making sauces with it and then we have to actually try making that sauce and then try feeding it to people and seeing if they like it in this case the people are fish but you know um, there's multiple levels to this whole project right the new species that will isolate from saudi in the next couple of years will be ported over into the outdoor production we're going to characterize them see how well they do as a replacement for the known commercial varieties but for now, the commercial varieties will fill the needs of the project goals that Claudio has. What's one weird fact about algae that uh, maybe the way it works or moves or evolves or, I don't know, something that stands out in your mind that yes. we might find interesting? For instance, I, I, I've been working with a group of algae that is called dinoflagellate. Dinoflagellate, as the words say, it, you can divide the word into dino and flagellate. Dino because they coming from the dinosaur area era, uh, and, and flagellate because they have flagellate. The beauty of this organism, of this algae, is that they uh, potentially uh, you can produce uh, or they can produce bioluminescence from 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 in in their body in their in their cell. They light and up. This, Yes, they light up, and actually, uh, you can see that there are some events in the ocean when you go uh, under the moon, and then you suddenly you can see this blue uh, color uh, during the night. That is bioluminescence from the algae, from dinoflagellate mainly. Yeah. I have seen those before, yeah. like in the mangroves, maybe yes, in Florida. Yes. I was in a kayak once, and yeah. when you dip your oar in the water, you activate that. That is really weird, and actually there is a, a actually there, there was a, a, a presentation here at Kaos. Uh, one uh, recognized chef from Spain came to Kaos, and they're using that bioluminescence to put into food for uh, for uh, uh, humans. Gourmet um, restaurant experience, yeah. my bioluminescing soup. So there's another related algae project called Integrated Multitrophic Aquaculture, and that is about growing fish with sustainable reuse processes. 
So tell us what that is, Claudio, and how is CalST involved in that effort? Yes, um, luckily, uh, during the launch of the phase one, um, there was a, a meeting between the CALS president and, and the, and the uh, deputy minister from MIWA, and they have agreed to uh, implement um, the phase two of this project. Phase two, it's mean that we're going to uh, implement not only algae production, but also fish production. So, uh, and, and in, in this case, we're going to use uh, the, as you rightly mentioned, the IMTA, Integrated Multitrophic Aquaculture. That's mean that we're going to use the uh, wastewater or the water that is coming from fish tanks in, uh, in uh, we're going to use that water in our algae facility. Why? Because basically fish, um, um, they produce a lot of ammonium and phosphorus through their uneaten feed and the feces. So those uh, um, nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus are uh, what we need in order to produce the algae. Right, so basically, we're gonna use the the water from the fish tank. We're gonna produce our algae biomass, and then during the downstream process, we're gonna separate the biomass, and we're gonna reuse that water and include into the fish tank again. So that is a kind of sustainable production. Uh, we're gonna use uh, CO2 as well from uh, 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 CO2 waste, and and that is the only way that we can uh, reduce the production cost because that is one of the main challenge of this project is try to produce biomass, algae biomass, below two US dollar, right? So this is this is the main goal in a sustainable way. And by using this concept, IMTA concept, we truly believe that we can do it. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't they all have to be on the same premises then? Yes. So mm -hmm. these are like fish fish hatcheries. I'm trying to imagine what that would be like. Big tanks of fish, yes. and then mm -hmm. yes, uh, this is going to be um, in the um, cows innovation area. So uh, just next to the Red Sea Farm greenhouse, it's going to be a uh, four hectare, uh, and we're going to deploy several several fish tanks by uh, growing local fishes. Uh, and then uh, there are going to be uh, uh, several open raceway where we're going to uh, produce the algae. Mm -hmm. ah, and I have to mention that the algae that we're going to produce is the algae that uh, is the biomass that we're going to include in the feed for those same fishes. So Right, mm, right. So mm. it's all circular. Circular yeah. economy, circular ecology, it's, it's, it's sustainability, yes. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. So, so where do you see this project in let's say five years and maybe even 10 years from now in the best in the best case scenario best case scenario and the idea is to um, use uh, the Red Sea coast right mainly Red Sea coast uh, to produce uh, all or to replace uh, all the importation of protein so the goal is by 2030 to produce at least 13 million tons of biomass right uh, my intention and, and also the government intention is to uh, set up several, several kilometers of, of these uh, algae facilities, uh, use CO2 sources for, for instance, for uh, 
thermal power plants to, to feed the, the algae needs of carbon, uh, use wastewater, for instance, from uh, refineries to reuse um, that water, and then to produce the biomass that will uh, provide the, the, um, the raw material for proteins, for the inclusion. So what can I see if uh, we validate the number, if we, uh, we are able to produce the biomass uh, our projection uh, would be that by 2028 we can fulfill all the uh, protein requirements of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So it may sound a little uh, scary to use thermal power plant CO2 to feed algae that is then going to be fed into the food stream, but I think the listeners should realize that the CO2 that's in their beverages is also sourced from the exact same place. So when you get beverage grade CO2, it's usually clean CO2 from a power plant or some kind of industrial source. So this is clean resources that are otherwise given away to the atmosphere. So it's an incredible win for circularity if we can build this kind of algal growth all up and down the Red Sea coast. Wow. So yeah, so algae is green not only in color, but <laughs> green from a sustainability vantage. Yes. And I'm glad you clarified that. I was actually going to ask about that. Um, I was um, I was thinking maybe at first it might only be used for fertilizers, but but you said it's it's uh, it's human grade. Sure, it's human. It, it's beverage grade CO two that's coming. Uh, it's bottled, and I think one of the things that should be pointed out is the planning of resources and where they come from is very important when we're talking about any scaled agriculture or, in this case, aquaculture and algal culture process. And the kingdom has all of these resources in abundance. They're just not connected in a circular way. And so I think the amazing thing about these projects is the connection of all of these different stakeholders in a circular way, right? So yeah, carbon that would otherwise be released and emitted into the atmosphere, you're capturing it. You're not only helping to offset some of that carbon, but then you're reusing it. It seems like from so many levels, there's, um, yeah, there's this reuse component that I'm hearing again and again, which is really cool. Part of the UN's goal. To, exactly. Yeah. Algae are probably one of the best examples of carbon reuse um, for practical implementation into consumer society again. So I'll give you an example. You can take uh, the oils that come from algae or other plants. And you can take those oils and you can chop them up and you can treat them with chemistry so that they polymerize again. And all of a sudden you're starting to make a material from that oil. So if we can take waste products and turn it into a material that can be used as a shoe or car seating or the dashboard in, in a car, I think those are great places where we can start sequestering some of that uh, carbon that we're reusing that would otherwise just be given away as waste, right? So there's many different opportunities to convert not only, so biomass for food is the big one uh, that Miwa is interested in right now and Claudio's team, but there's also many different materials that can be made from that biomass. At the end of the day, all biomass is made up of chemicals. It's uh, different biochemicals, but those biochemicals can be used for materials chemistry as well. And so that's some of the work that we're doing in collaboration with people here at KAUST. It's an amazing environment for connecting these different ideas. And so one of, one of the goals of our lab is to just find other options that we can use algal biomass for and other things, other applications that we can use that algal biomass for. So algae could be shaping our lives in ways that we don't know or hadn't anticipated. I think we have a, a lot of work ahead of us, but it's a very exciting time and we're just getting started, right? 
Nice. Thank you both so much for joining me today in the studio to talk about algae. Thanks to you, Julie, to, for inviting us. And we want to be very happy to share later on uh, some of our results our project. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Julie. It's been really fun. Great. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Alex Arias and Julie West. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.